This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello, happy one day. Thanks for hanging out with us. I can't believe I'm saying this, but it is one day until the election. Mm-hmm. It is election eve. Yeah, and usually the eves before like special events, that's a fun t- uh, time to celebrate. But I don't know how many people are celebrating tonight. Well, I think everyone is bracing themselves, not so much celebrating, which, yeah, I get, um, because I'm not celebrating it. I'm just, you know, willing and just kind of getting myself ready for the best of it, which is why I'm happy today's show is so good, because we're giving you all the latest updates on everything, obviously, you need to know. But then also we're sprinkling in some self-care stuff to kind of help you out, you know, smooth your nerves over. Yes, we all need that right now. I mean, just me. I just need to breathe right now. I usually don't breathe as hard on the mic, but hey, it's for self-care, okay? I feel like I was uh, nervous and anxious leading up, but as now we're kind of in the eye of the storm, I don't really Mm -hmm. feel that way. I'm kind of like ready for it to just happen and then react to it in the moment. That's all you can do, really. Uh, Let's get into some what's trending this hour, though, because a lot happened over the weekend. We all know about this, or um, I don't know, maybe you're not following the news and we're here for you for that. There was this Biden bus incident. A video shows Trump supporters surrounding the Biden campaign bus with their vehicles in Texas Friday. The video showed two cars colliding, and the Biden campaign said the pro-Trump trucks tried to run the bus off-road as it traveled from San Antonio to Austin. Now, this is wild what happened, and Biden addressed the incident over the weekend. Pickup trucks with Trump flags tried to run it off the road. They're stopping it, dropping in front of it. And uh, and the president saw it, took the video that, that someone had taken and treated it back out and said, I love Texas. And then, of course, President Trump had a lot to say about that. He lashed out at the FBI on Sunday after it said it was investigating reports that that caravan of his supporters harassed a bus belonging to Biden's campaign. He tweeted this, in my opinion, these patriots did nothing wrong. Instead, the FBI and justice should be investigating the terrorists, anarchists, and agitators of Antifa who run around burning down our Democrat-run cities and hurting our people. And he revisited everything today also inaccurately claiming that a report of the FBI investigation was false and tweeting that his supporters, quote, did nothing wrong. He again said the FBI should be investigating Antifa instead. Uh, Now, he also joked at his rally in Michigan that his supporters were protecting Biden's bus on the highway. You know, they were protecting his bus yesterday because they're nice. So his bus, they had hundreds of cars, Trump, Trump, 
Trump and the American flag. That's it. You see Trump and American flag. You ever notice when you see the other side? I don't even see much of the other side. That's his uh, form of protection. That kind of scares me. <laughs> Meanwhile, at a rally in Florida late Sunday night, Trump suggested that he would fire Dr. Anthony Fauci, the government's leading infectious diseases expert, after the election. The president made the comment after thousands of supporters in Opelika, Florida, broke out into a fire Fauci chant in response to Trump's false claims that the pandemic is getting better. Don't tell anybody, but let me wait till a little bit after the election. I appreciate the advice. Now, he's been wrong on a lot. He's a nice man, though. He's been wrong on a lot. So that has been the latest happening on the campaign trail. Pretty wild. Uh, and that's what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right. So let's dive into a political tea report because celebrities are getting involved. Let's start off with Taylor Swift because she's had the really big, like, transformational, like, I feel like I barely even recognize this super outspoken political woman that she's grown into be. Well, she let her music be used in a political ad for Biden Harris for the first time ever. California politician Eric Saul. Wall um, is running a campaign ad featuring Taylor Swift's Only the Young. Here is a video uh, of, that she actually released today encouraging her fans to vote. Hey, so we are all very stressed out about this election, rightfully so, I feel you. But allow me to be the one millionth person to remind you that tomorrow is your last chance to make your voice heard and to make your vote count. So if you haven't voted yet, please do. And stay safe, wear a mask, take care of yourselves. I love you very much. Happy voting. Pretty dope. I mean, not even it's not even just her. It's uh, you know, next up is Lady Gaga, who is ho- actually hopped up on the uh, campaign train, and she's not stopping until Biden Harris get elected. And of course, that made Donald Trump very upset. Um, you know, Gaga and Beyonce both have endorsed uh, Joe Biden for president, while Beyonce and Jay-Z, of course, remember, they performed at an event for Hillary Clinton back in 2016 when she ran for president. But here's what Trump had to say about all these celebs at a, ra- uh, at a rally he held today. And Someone's feelings were basically hurt. I could tell you plenty of stories. I could tell you stories about Lady Gaga. I know a lot of stories about Lady Gaga. And John Bon Jovi, every time I see him, he kisses my ass. Oh, oh, Mr. President. But he'll get he'll get something out of it, just like everyone is. But you know what happens? You bring in some of these. They don't draw. By the way, we draw much bigger crowds than these people. So, yes. Yeah, who's who's uh, endorsed him? What celebrities? Uh, Christy Alley, and she's oh, yeah. been a mess. But I guess that's his uh, that's his version of Lady Gaga. Because um, also, really funny story happened to Lady Gaga over the weekend. She did catch some heat for trying to appeal to uh, quote unquote rednecks in a Biden <laughs> endorsement video. And honestly, it is hilarious. If you haven't checked that out, head over to weirdchannelq.com for all of your pop culture needs and expect the tea report next hour. And she's been on the ground with him in Pennsylvania also today. So she is doing a lot well, yeah, of work she, right she's, now. she's hopped on that campaign trail for sure. Love it. Now coming up, the states that have been the most likely to deliver the presidency and where they stand for this election. That's next in two minutes. 
Now, we've all been following the swing states leading up to this election. It is getting so close. I cannot believe it. But is there one state we should be looking at that could win the election over for one of these candidates? National correspondent for The Washington Post, Philip Bump, joins us right now. How are you? I'm well. How are you? You know, we're, we're dealing. You ready I mean, it's for a tomorrow? Big, it's a big week. I know. No one's ready for tomorrow, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So, Philip, in 2016, for Trump, this tipping point state, uh, tipping poll state, not point, but it is a tipping point, was Pennsylvania. So will right. it be the same this year? Uh, it remains to be seen. So when we talk about tipping point states, essentially what we're talking about is no matter what the outcome of the race, there is a point in which there is a state which makes the difference, which puts a candidate over 270 electoral votes. Mm. In 2016, that state was Pennsylvania for Donald Trump. It was a very close race, obviously. Uh, and that was the one that, you know, it, it's not as though if he'd lost Pennsylvania, he would necessarily have lost the election. But that was the one that actually gave him the presidency. Uh, it looks as though that's going to be the same state this year. Pennsylvania is close enough that it sits at the middle of sort of all of the states and that that could be the tipping point for either Joe Biden or for Donald Trump. Well, can I ask, like, how important is, you know, obviously Pennsylvania? Because and I feel I, I find that to be so interesting because has history ever shown the state to always have been kind of just so important in this way? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, essentially, the answer is no, that that over the course of the past you know, century of presidential elections, it sort of varies which states are important. I mean, for example, four years ago at this time, we didn't necessarily think that Pennsylvania was going to be the state that was mm -hmm. most important. I mean, it, it, it ended up defying what the polls said and became a very important state. Uh, but that said, Pennsylvania is a state which tends to be at one of those tipping point states. The one that comes up most often is actually Ohio. No Republican has ever won the presidency without winning Ohio. Uh, so obviously, this is a state that Donald Trump wants to win. Uh, but it's also been a state that more often than any other state has been the one which is either the tipping point state or close to the tipping point state over the course of the past hundred years. Amazing. Now, again, we're talking to Philip Bump from the Washington Post about tipping point states. Of course, you mentioned Pennsylvania being the one we looked at uh, four years ago, and right. now we're looking at this year as well. And, you know, four years ago is very tight between uh, Clinton and Trump. And polls, of course, showed her in the lead, but then he won by like 07 points. How close is it right now? Right now, it is not as close uh, as that <laughs> by a wide margin. So essentially, in 2016, yeah, Clinton came into Election Day with a broad lead. Now, Joe Biden's lead is actually wider than was Clinton's then. But there's an important distinction, which is that over the course of the past four years, the pollsters whose state polls ended up being incorrect have gone back and revisited. What did we get wrong? Who did right. we undercount? And so, for example, Monmouth University just came out with a poll. And if you look at who they are including in their sample now for their poll, as opposed to who they included four years ago, it's it's much more densely Republicans, much more densely non-college educated people. And that is so they don't miss those same people. And yet at the same time, Biden's lead is still bigger than Clinton's. So there's less of a chance that we're going to see the same sort of error we did four years ago. You know, over the weekend, we saw such a large amount of uh, Trump protests happening across the country. Right. And, I, and I wonder in these polls, because a lot of them are saying that Joe Biden is leading. But do you think recent protests are being reflected in these most recent polls? I would say this about the, the, the you know, demonstrations and the protests that we've seen. It is not that hard in a country of 330 million people to whip up you know, 400 people to get mad about something, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a reason that in New York City, there are protests all the time. It's that there's 8 million people there, right? And so, right. you know, if you want to have a demonstration about whatever in New York City, it's not that hard to whip up a demonstration. The same applies to, you know, 
areas where there are a lot of people who are strongly pro-Trump. And so it's not that hard to put together a caravan of folks who are going to go around honking their horns. I was in Scranton, Pennsylvania yesterday, and that's exactly what happened. It was like 24 cars, but it was loud. It took a while. But, you know, so you can make a big impression without that many people. So, yes, what was really being demonstrated there is enthusiasm. There are a lot of Republicans who are really enthusiastic to vote for Donald Trump. It doesn't, I think, necessarily reflect anything in the polls. But the key factor here that Donald Trump and his supporters often underestimate is that there is a huge motivating factor for Democrats, too. And it's not that there's Joe Biden. It's Donald Trump. Democrats want to mm. go out and vote against Donald Trump. And so yeah. for all of the polls you see where it's like, oh, Democrats are less excited about voting for Biden than Republicans are for voting for Trump. That's because Democrats are excited about voting against Donald Trump. It's not because <laughs> yeah. yes. they don't yeah. like Joe Biden. Yeah, that That's is true. their protest. Is what you're <laughs> That's right. yeah, yeah, for sure. So, although the, we don't have a cult leader, unfortunately. Yeah. Right. Um, so if Biden doesn't win Pennsylvania, what then? If Biden doesn't win Pennsylvania, it's not the end of the world. Certainly, it is seems likely that he will. But if he doesn't win Pennsylvania, there are a lot of other paths. He's got a better playing field in front of him than does Donald Trump. Donald Trump needs to win Pennsylvania. He doesn't have to, but he really, really, really wants to. He absolutely has to win Florida. He absolutely has to win Texas. Uh, he probably has to win North Carolina and Ohio. If he loses any of those states, he's in deep trouble. Uh, yeah. Joe Biden just has a lot more, you know, Joe Biden has California and New York and Washington, a lot of big states already in the bank, Illinois. And he, you know, he, he has a lot more ways to get to 270 than does Donald Trump. Well, Biden is actually planning on being in Ohio today, right? And so is right. that, is that the right space for him to be so close to literally election day? Yeah, I mean, from the outside, it seems a little odd. I mean, do you know, he's down in, in the polling average in Ohio, not dramatically down, but down by enough that one would think he'd go to somewhere where they're, you know, it, it seems more likely he's going to win. But I don't have access to the numbers that he has. And he may be going, he's going to Cleveland, for example, and he may be going there to, to try and spur more, you know, black voters to go out to the polls, which is something that his internal polling shows he needs to do. I don't have access to that. You know, I, I trust that they know what they're doing. And my guess is that's why they're going there. Okay, well, Philip Bump, thanks again for being with us as you are covering everything right now. Of course, my pleasure. Again, Philip Bump is a national correspondent for The Washington Post. Now coming up next, why the risk of post-election violence in the U.S. is higher than at any time in recent memory. Details on that next in two minutes. It seems like we are in a more polarized time than we've ever seen in recent history. And uh, Stephen Pomper, senior director for policy at the International Crisis Group, has said, quote, the U.S. isn't on the cusp of a second civil war, but the prospect of intense fighting is there. What does that even mean? Alex Ward joins us right now. He's a staff writer covering national security for Vox. Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. From writing this piece on post-election violence, what did you learn that was most alarming? Well, I think I just learned in general that, you know, the chance of violence in after this election is higher. I want to stress not high, but higher than in previous elections in modern memory. And so when we're talking about you know, are we worried about people coming out, uh, you know, potentially far right folks with guns, some far left folks who want to do property damage? Is this an actual concern? It is. And more than any other election to the point now that the city I'm in, you know, our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., downtown is boarded up. Uh, many buildings and, and, you know, restaurants, et cetera, are boarded up. And that's uh, not a fun sight to see the day before the election. You know, if we were in the midst of this pandemic and quarantine, do you think people's emotions or the violence would be so intense? Do you think we would still have the same reaction if everyday life was kind of going on? It's a great question. I mean, part of what I learned in this is that some people may just be feeling more stress and anxious because of the coronavirus, and that tends to rile people up. But at the end of the day, you know, 
we do have an intense election. There is genuine dislike on both sides. We've also had a summer of unrest, of course, after the George Floyd uh, killing. And we've also had some folks try to storm state capitals. And so without even this you know, pandemic hanging over us for a long time, the notion that we've just had people out on the streets, they have been mobilized on, on mul- multiple sides. And that could make them easier to mobilize again based on what happens on uh, the election. What's important to note here is that we do have uh, really a, a real polarized American electorate. We do not really have a center to hold things together anymore. And when you have such a combustible thing like an election, especially one that is raised a lot of emotions, especially based on uh, the incumbent candidate, when you get a moment like this and when you've had sort of the preceding months leading into it, it makes sense that the concern over violence would rise. Again, I want to stress, it doesn't mean violence is inevitable. It doesn't mean there will be clashes in the street. It just means that we all have to be a bit more on our alert game uh, than we would have been in previous elections. Definitely. Again, we're talking to Alex Ward, staff writer covering national security for Vox about the risk of post-election violence. And we are there, by the way. It's it's right in front of us. Yeah, and I wonder, does more of the responsibility and pressure kind of land on Biden when it comes to trying to calm the country down on election night and the day after? Uh, I mean, that's hard to tell because it depends on what's happening. I think what, uh, you know, if Biden wins or is named the winner and Trump says, you know, I don't buy it, I'm the actual winner, or let's wait and see, and you have Biden folks come out and protest, whatever it may be, you know, I I think what we can safely say uh, is that between the two candidates, one of them is most likely to call for calm, uh, and the other one isn't. And, uh, you know, that would obviously be Trump, uh, the latter there. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because I did watch the Chicago 7 about the riots in the 60s on Netflix last night, and is what's going on right now as close to what happened around then? Uh, Other than Eddie Redmayne's tortured American accent, uh, (laughs) you know, I... (laughs) Uh, I guess what I would say is I'm not sure we're in that sort of Vietnam era level of activism. I think what we're seeing here is a genuine concern about a president, whether you agree with that concern or not. And then you also have uh, another concern of just not only the president, but is this election going to be uh, as fair as past elections? You know, of course, the concerns of ballots not being counted. Uh, lawsuits in certain states to stop voting before all the votes are counted, Um, the president who may declare victory before anything is official. So it's sort of a concern of the man, it's a concern of the process, and it's all kindling that could light a spark on this dry land. Well, I think one thing that we can compare it to is really like 2016 when you kind of talked about the civil unrest, because to be honest, we had that back in 2016 before those elections. I mean, Philandro Castile was something that had just happened. You know, Trayvon Martin didn't ha- was happening around that same time. But this go around, we've seen an energized Trump base kind of take on the streets heavily. Is that different? Should we feel worried at this point because of that? Because I, I think for me, I try to, I'm like kind of nervous about that because I'm like, is that reflecting when it comes to the Trump base? And like, are we going to see them kind of really just come out at heavy numbers on election night and just like go crazy? Look, I think you make a good point because let's also not forget that after Trump was elected, you had one of the greatest protests in, in American history in the Women's March, right? So there was right. mobilization. That was I peaceful. Think what, no, it was peaceful. All I'm of saying that was mobilization. Peaceful, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm just saying that there was actual mobilization in terms of people. Like, so there, there is um, a feeling of like, you know, things people could be moved even before this era. What has right. changed in this era? 
uh, is that you have the president who he is, you have the events that we've recently had, and then you've had a pretty strong federal and law enforcement response, more than we've really seen, plus the far-right militias that have been coming out. So while there was definitely tension in that you know 2016 era, uh, and people could still mobilize in a peaceful way, we've now seen that even the peaceful uh, unrest of this time uh, has been pushed back quite hard, and that usually leads to a forceful response on behalf of the demonstrators. Yeah, well, Alex Ward, thank you again for being with us today. Happy to be here. That was Alex Ward, staff writer covering national security for Vox. Now coming up next, Joe Biden has finally disclosed the big names who helped him raise big money during his election. Why so late in the game? We discuss that next in two minutes. Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden finally disclosed his biggest funders on Saturday, revealing the names of the 820 people who have helped him become the first candidate in U.S. history to end up raising $1 billion in a single election cycle. President Trump's campaign for re-election said that Trump raised north of $950 million during the 2020 election. Now, let's get into this list of folks. And it's not that long, actually. So it includes Mayor Pete Buttigieg and Representative Adam Schiff, Hollywood filmmakers like Lee Daniels and Jeffrey Katzenberg, and Silicon Valley billionaires like Reid Hoffman and Ron Conway. They didn't, by the way, specify on how much these individuals raised for Biden. Beyond that, it was more than $100,000. So, I mean, are you surprised that uh, these names are on the list and that he just revealed this? Because typically Democrats are pretty transparent about these donors or these these bundlers, as they like to say. Yeah, and I'm a little conflicted because I partially kind of don't care, but then I partially really do because I do think, um, one, it was it it makes strategic sense that Biden did not kind of draw attention to that whole thing because obviously Donald Trump tried to draw attention to it being like he gets a whole bunch of his money from Wall Street and all that, whatever he said during those debates. But I also think Joe Biden knows that he he kind of has per, uh, perceived himself or made the general public understand him as kind of like the middle class Joe, where he yep. works for the middle class. He's about the middle class. And, and so to be honest, he is going to have to get money, right? And let's be clear here, his, this campaign took place in the middle of a pandemic where a lot of people's funds probably weren't in the, the place where they could donate to Joe Biden. So I do think they had to do some things um, to get money from the right folks, hopefully, and not just like these awful Wall Street people who are going to have, you know, a stake or control into his presidency, right? Because we don't know about the Trump campaign. The Trump campaign has never really been transparent with us from the jump. And so who knows? who has a piece of Donald Trump um, and what, he, you know, they've been able to get out of this four years. I'm hoping Joe Biden totally. doesn't do the same thing. But also, I understand that they had to raise a ton of money to keep going in the way that they're going. Everything has been yeah. so unprecedented. I mean, it's not surprising. He needs to get money from uh, someone. And if someone has a ton of money, you know, typically that's going to be someone who has made a lot of money from a company, has made it from Wall Street. It's passed down through generations. It's like legacy money. Uh, the question is, is that person, yeah, does do they have a stake in anything? Is he going to be trying to, you know, give them something in return? And we've seen that in Trump's presidency, right? And we've seen it come up in many cases, even though he hasn't been transparent. It somehow 
finds its way into the pu- the public uh, domain or like even the press. So right. that is not surprising, but it is very close to the election. Over uh, 90 million people have already voted. Ooh. So would this have made a difference? You know, if he had I don't think so. revealed this before? I genuinely don't think so. Because like I said, Trump has been trying to say little small things or little jabs here and there, but no one has really even bothered to even care about it. Nothing has really been able to stick because... You know, like our guest earlier said from the Washington Post, people are voting against Donald Trump. It's not that they think that Joe Biden is the right person. They are just trying to get Trump up out of there. You know, and so I think that's the most important thing, unfortunately. And that's kind of the time that in the space that we're in. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's it would have affected anything, depending oh, ulti- on who it was. Yeah. And ultimately, I think this is where we see the difference between someone like a Bernie Sanders or an AOC and the uh, who would have you know given them money i mean obviously oc hasn't run for president but bernie sanders had a lot of smaller yeah bernie sanders had a lot of smaller donors and obviously he was anti corporate america he was anti the billionaires he didn't want to have them in his back pocket uh and so we're seeing this this change here with biden at the same time of course they're fighting a fight against trump and that's the priority and the focus here right now uh but let's get into this coming up karen's as we know have gotten a bad rap in 2020. So the New York Times did a poll of how many actual Karens are voting for Biden versus Trump. The results next on What's Trending This Hour. We are back and coming up, how to diffuse tense political conversations at work because as much as you might want to avoid them, I mean, it's going to be definitely in all of our faces this week, whether we like it or not. Plus, your self-care checklist for Election Day because we all need some self-care right now. Yep. That is uh, coming up this hour, but let's get into some what's trending this hour right now. Let's dive into it. Political advisor James Carville predicts we'll know pretty early the result of the 2020 presidential election. Now, Carville, who served as a political advisor to Bill Clinton and many candidates abroad, said this during an appearance on MSNBC. First of all, we're going to know the winner of this election by 10 o'clock tomorrow night. By what time? What people are doing is just unnecessarily scaring people and making them unnecessarily nervous. Well, you heard it. I mean, we are broadcasting tomorrow until 10 p.m. Pacific, so there's a big chance we could know the winner while we are live on air, even though that's pretty hard to imagine considering all the different angles of this right now. I don't think we're going to know. But I know people are predicting things, but I doubt we'll know. If we do know, at least we can go to bed, you know, at least kind of not stressing that we were waiting for the results. Like, at least we'll kind of know and then have to kind of deal with what we got to deal with at the end of the day. Could be good, it could be bad. Yep, and that's a good reminder, by the way, uh, for everyone to listen to us on Channel Q Live tomorrow. We're bringing you election day coverage, not just during our show, but all night long. We're hanging out here on Channel Q. And we're going to have music, but also the latest news. So you got a bit of a balance of both. That's what we all need, a little bit of balance. Now, as COVID-19 cases continue to surge in Illinois at an unprecedented rate, Governor J.B. Pritzker on Sunday announced new restrictions for all 12 um, or 11, sorry, Illinois regions. Pritzker will be imposing a ban on indoor service at bars and restaurants, among other restrictions, this week for Region 2, which covers 20 north central counties, including Rock Island, Kendall, and Knox counties, after the area saw an average positivity rate above the 8% positivity threshold for three consecutive days. 
Uh, yeah, and now that sucks because it is getting colder on the in the Midwest and the East Coast, and we know it's hard uh, to not be inside. We are sending our love to everyone dealing with that right now because that's really hard. Yeah. Canada. Yeah, I mean, every state is basically a hot spot at this point. I think we have to kind of think about it. We're literally coming into the next wave. And I don't even know, and I'm hoping this wave isn't like turned into a tsunami type of situation. So we all have to do, we have to do what we need to do to get past this and through this, you know? Yeah. You know, in Toronto, I spoke to a friend of mine. They are actually setting up outdoor restaurants, like under heat lamps, but it's still freezing out. So they're just eating outside in the cold with their like jackets and blankets. Which that's is, one way to do it. Do you really want to eat out that bad? Like you could save so much money and cook you something and eat on your balcony or your porch. People get antsy, as we all know, staying inside. So I could see how they could want to do it. It just doesn't seem very comfortable. But hey, whatever floats your boat. Now, on Sunday, the Supreme Court of Texas denied a request by the state's Republicans to reject over 100,000 ballots cast through curbside voting in Harris County, Texas. These efforts follow an October 22nd decision by the Texas Supreme Court denying a GOP bid to shut down curbside voting, also known as drive-through voting. The petition claims that drive-through voting is an illegal expansion of curbside voting. So that is happening right now in Texas. So those 100,000 ballots will not be denied, thankfully. Good news. Yes. Now, in a time when it seems Karens wouldn't be for the Democrats, according to New York Times and Siena College polling, they took the most 10, uh, 10 most common male and female names and vote preferences of each, by the way. And those with the name Karen are backing Biden 60% to 40%. So it's not that type of Karen. It's actually the name Karen. Um, and what name is most likely to back Trump? Well, it's Richard Thomas and William. Those names are most likely to back Trump. There you go. It works well. It works well. Isn't Richard like the name of the guy who runs the KKK? Oh, I'm not sure. Possibly. Uh, I'll have to get back to you on that one. I'll have to Google it. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I'm one of the known ones. And the top female name, Nancy. Poor Nancy. Our Nancy Pelosi is probably not happy about that one. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, let's dive into the tea reports um, because people, my God, I just thought we weren't going to have to do another Kardashian story for a while. But Kendall Jenner slammed over Halloween birthday party amid the pandemic. She held a huge birthday party for herself. She's turning 25. She turned 25 um, here in Los Angeles. And guess what? According to TMZ, guests were warned not to post on social media of any kind. But because we're humans and we can't follow rules, everything got leaked. There was photos of people not wearing masks. I mean, in one video, a waiter seems to back away from a maskless Kendall as she blows out the candles on a birthday cake that he's holding, which first of all, pre-pandemic, that's pretty gross anyway. I hate when people spit all over the cake and blow out the candles. Like that's just gross. But post-pandemic, it just feels even more of a horror story. Um, But Kris Jenner, she had to defend her daughter, Kendall Jenner, in a new interview with Andy Cohen. And here's what she had to say. I am very sensitive to what's going on. Believe me. You know, I've, I've, really tried so hard. We are very lucky to work in an industry where we get tested once or twice a week. I just got yeah. tested again. I was tested on Friday. I got because of the yeah. network rules while we're yeah. filming, as you know. Mm-hmm. So that's very yep. strict. And then whenever we have a gathering, no matter how big or small, 
no matter, you know, whether it's five people or 25 people, you know, or 20 yeah. people, um, yeah. we have like at Kindles, everyone got tested before they walked in this the door. This is the thing. If people are getting COVID tests and you're like organizing it, then maybe it's okay. But like they can't expect the, the biggest social media stars holding a party and saying, oh, don't post on social media. Um, no one should be partying right now. She should not have been partying. And the fact that she wanted to do it secretively, um, where no one should post. Yeah, I'm happy it backfired. Famous, it's yeah, disgusting. It's absolutely disgusting. And I feel so sorry for that man that had to hold that cake. Um, and yeah, that's your tea report. Get ready for more coming up next hour, y'all. Yeah, and coming up, we mentioned this earlier, how to diffuse tense political conversations at work. It is not easy, and we're helping you get there coming up in two minutes. It's estimated that we spend over 2,000 hours each year working closely with our colleagues. Ryan, we spend 2,000 hours together. That, please or more, don't. actually, probably more. Please don't make me quit on air. I really don't Started want to, have to do traumatized that. traumatized, you know? <laughs> And um, in an October poll on Monster.com, more than one in three said they had changed their opinion of a coworker due to that person's political affiliation. 32% said they, uh, said they were uncomfortable discussing the upcoming presidential election with their coworkers. And joining us to help us navigate these topics and conversations is Sabrina Smith, founder and CEO of Progeny One, a leadership development and training company. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You all are so, awesome. Oh, you're so thank sweet. You. Thank wait you. Till you. Wait till the end of the segment to make your judgment. <laughs> right. Well, okay. Sabrina, knowing that politics is front and center and hard to avoid, how do you diffuse those tense political conversations at work? Yeah, so I think the best thing to do is just not to have them, honestly, because they cause so much tension. And here's the deal. You know, people are going to have to work together after the election. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important that we acknowledge the fact that people have a perspective and then we need to shift that conversation by being very direct about how we feel about things and then just reshift the focus of the conversation. So this way you're not making people feel that you don't hear them and don't respect that they have a perspective and you certainly want to be true to where you are. Because again, there's this is this is tearing people apart. Yeah, oh, yeah. you know, I understand that, especially when it comes to the traditional corporation. But the companies that I've mm -hmm. always worked for before this one was always kind of like those more free free flowing startups. You know, the men I'm really cool with the founders and just conversations feel a little bit more lax. Right. What about mm -hmm. those environments? Because it's bound to happen where the conversations are going to happen. I mean, 2016, I had coworkers who literally told us that they didn't vote and it caused, you know, a little bit of a conversation, but we had to kind of have to deal with that. So I always wonder about kind of more of the less traditional corporations and the startups that we're seeing kind of develop. Yeah, so I think that's excellent. And a lot of the companies today, especially, and this is just my opinion, but from a generational perspective, people are all about being authentic and real, and they want to be able to talk the stuff that they feel. And then there's a caveat. There's an and to that, right? People are still human beings. So I think that there has to be a way of bridging those types of conversation with business so that it's a safe space to be um, honest and be able to utilize that in such a way that it still doesn't create any tension or dis-ease, I like to call it, between people. So what that might sound like is, you know what, hey, you know, here's some issues going on with the, the political race and I'm, I'm concerned about this. And a great leader might say, you know what, I see your perspective on that. What happens if this does happen? How does that affect how we do business? Is there something we should be looking forward to in the sense that maybe we need to innovate or maybe reconfigure how we need to serve our customers or our clients? 
So I think those conversations can be embraced in corporations that really take that focus to here's the situation and yeah, we understand yeah. that. But then how does that affect our organization? And then how do we plan forward so that it doesn't have to be where we stop? And making it less personal, more about productivity and innovation. <laughs> and again, we're talking to Sabrina Smith, who's the founder and CEO of Progeny One. She works with leaders and companies to just make them better. Yes. And, and this is something that is either, I think, bringing companies together or tearing them apart. Mm-hmm. When, when you hear this come up, should someone wait to talk to that person one-on-one or just bring it up in real time with the group? Say, for example, you have somebody who is in a meeting and again, you know, this is the day before the elections and people are politically charged and mm-hmm. they're kind of diverting the topic of the conversation. I think very respectfully, you might have to say to Bob or Michelle, hey, Michelle or Bob, you know, we really need to focus on this you know, so absolutely, this is just not the place for that conversation. You know, we respect the fact that you have a perspective and we definitely want to make certain that we get through with, you know, our, our meeting cadence. Because fact of the matter is, that's a whole nother topic. People already struggle with the many meetings we have day in and day out. You add to that the Zoom meetings and all these situations and folks are feeling burnt. We really don't want to misuse that time. So I think it's okay to, to address it in the moment in a respectable manner. Do you think we've learned a little bit of how to do that, especially within the beginning of quarantine and around the civil unrest going on in this country? We kind of learned how to have this conversation appropriate to have. These questionings are appropriate to have. How do you think, you know, that transitional kind of educational period will help us kind of understand this? Yeah, I think of it as sort of going back to school, starting at kindergarten. So to answer your question directly, no, we have not learned. I think we're just finally starting to get um, aware of the fact that we just need to have the conversations. And then I think that people are at the point where they're realizing that how they've been able to show up and how they've been you know, talking about things or not talking about things is sort of problematic. So I think we're just at the point where people are even becoming okay with some of this. But I can also tell you, if it could, please, there's been some organizations out there that are still treading very lightly. They do not want to go deep yet. I mean, they're still hiring in folks to have the diversity and inclusion conversations, and they want to keep them right at surface. So we're not there yet. There's a lot of work that still needs to be done in this space because it's really asking people to take an inside out approach to the conversation. And that's an, that's an uncomfortable place for many people. So just as we wrap it up, uh, if we're not going to be bringing it up in, you know, the day to day, sometimes when we have meetings, do you suggest people do town halls or set up specific times where people could feel like they can share their concerns or thoughts? Yeah. So I'm a human being and this is how I've always led. Right. So I would say to my folks, when there was something really tough, my thing with them is say, Hey, come in the room, close the door, be a human being. And so I think that from a leadership perspective, if you're realizing that these types of conversations and issues are distracting your people from having those types of conversations, I think it is a matter of strategy. I think it's a matter of how do we open up the door for people to really be able to have that conversation in a way that makes them feel acknowledged and does not distract from one thing, which is the culture of the organization post the race. So yeah, yeah, if, if you can do something like that and it can keep us whole, 
perfect. But if but if not, you may have to do it in more small pockets. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your insights. We appreciate it. Thank you all so much. That was Sabrina Smith, founder and CEO of Progeny One, a leadership development and training company. Now coming up, the economy could lose a generation of working mothers. The staggering stats next in two minutes. The economy could lose a generation of working mothers. This is the headline from an article from Vox.com by journalist Bryce Covert, who looks at the long-term impact of hundreds of thousands of women who have been pushed out of work during the pandemic. She joins us right now. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. So what led you to want to focus on these stories of working moms? So I think people may be seeing numbers about the fact that we are starting to lose a huge cohort of women from our workforce right now. Um, But each time I saw some data, each time I saw a figure, I knew that there was a personal story behind that, that each one of these women is going through something extremely personal and potentially quite traumatic. So I wanted to tell some of their stories to really help people understand the historic moment that we are living through right now for working women. Yeah. And it seems like, and you mentioned this in the article, there's this family's first coronavirus response act. It included up to 12 weeks of guaranteed paid leave for workers whose childcare schools closed because of the pandemic, but it has an exclusion for companies with 500 plus employees. So let's talk about the repercussions of that, because it seems like those are the companies that would be able to, you know, have the backing to support these women, but they don't. Yeah, I think so. The, the, the paid leave that Congress extended at the beginning of the crisis um, applies to a pretty small world of employees. Only about 20% of the workforce was eligible. And that's because if you're at an employer with more than 500 or less than 50 employees, or if you're a healthcare worker, which at first was very broad, although courts have actually since narrowed that exemption, but that all meant that you couldn't take this leave necessarily. Um, I do think Congress was thinking, well, an employer with more than 500 employees can probably afford to do this on its own. But what these women's stories tell, and I think what we're seeing in our economy is that a lot of them just aren't. They are not accommodating mothers or other working parents um, or working people when they need some time off to try to deal with this unprecedented situation. How do you think the bigger political narrative or conversation plays into a moment like this? Because, you know, when you're talking about women's rights, you know, reproductive rights kind of being stripped away, and then you have what's happening with Amy Coney Barrett. Do you think this societal issue kind of continues to fuel that women have to be the ones to put their job to the side and worry about being a caretaker? Yeah, I think some of what fuels this landing on women in particular is, um, you know, just hard, cold math. Women make less than men. um, And that's even more stark for women of color when there's a man and a woman in a partnership and they're trying to decide whose income do we lose? It's usually the woman's because it's usually lower. But I also think there is a huge societal undertone here of women still feeling that they have to be the ones to be the default caretaker. And that may mean having to pause or abandon their careers. Um, That was true before the pandemic. But I think right now when there is just such a rock and such a hard place that they're caught between a lot of women who wouldn't have made that decision otherwise are being forced into it now. Yeah. Again, we're talking to journalist Bryce Cover about an article that she wrote with Vox.com about working mothers losing their jobs and how we could lose an entire generation of workers. And the numbers are pretty staggering. I mean, uh, 
we've never seen this many women on the sidelines or out of work in this way, like working moms since 1986. Married women lost almost 1 million jobs last month while single men gained 1.2 million. So what does this say, say about the future of gender in the workplace? Well, I hope that it's not bleak, but it could be really bleak, I think is my answer. You know, one <laughs> economist pointed out to me that at some point the economy will recover. And if employers penalize all of these women who have been pushed out of the workplace and say, well, you left to go take care of your kids. That doesn't look good on your resume. There won't be enough of the people to hire. Like the economy needs these women back in their productive jobs and the career paths that they were pursuing, that they invested in, that their families invested in. That said, we know that there is a severe penalty for mothers in the workplace already, that that mothers are looked down upon for leaving work to care for their children. So I think it's really unclear. And these numbers are just unprecedented. We are yeah. losing a generation of women. So I don't think we really know what it looks like on the other side. Are people talking about it enough? Are we having these conversations? Does it feel like it's too late? Well, I think we are talking about it. I don't know that we talk about it in quite the right way. It is not, I think, that women are opting out. It is that they are being pushed out. They are not being allowed to make changes to their work life that allow them to do what they need to do in their personal lives. Congress could have done more. Um, the paid leave could have been applied to more people. And we also could have really prioritized opening schools in a safe way, ensuring that daycares remained open and stayed open safely instead of focusing on bars and restaurants, which um, it has been more of the focus, particularly at the state and local level, to get those businesses back open instead of the places where children need to grow and develop and where their parents need them to go so they can have some sanity back. Definitely. Well, thank you again for all of this and for being here. Thank you. That was journalist Bryce Covert. You can check out her article in Vox.com. Now coming up, self-care plans for election day, because don't we all need some of that? We're getting into what that even means next in two minutes. Self-care is more important than ever before, including during this crazy time, election, oh my God, 24 hours away. And it's not just about caring for yourself, being indulgent, but now it's a radical act of self-preservation. And, you know, even in 2016, the week after the elections, American Googled the term almost twice as often as they ever had in years past. I can't even imagine what the Google search is right now because like places like Washington Post, New York Times, they're including self-care almost in their election coverage, which I've never seen this before. Have you, Ryan? Um, not in, to the extent that we're in now, you know, we're living in a different time. Everyone needs it. Have you created a self-care plan for this week? No, I have not. I wasn't good at it before and I'm not really good at it now. And we're in the eye of the storm and I rather be present in what we're doing and then kind of having the self-care afterwards, rejuvenate myself afterwards. Ooh, I like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to do my morning routine, you know, the meditation, journaling, breathing. What's new? Uh, because I'm, I, I mean, I'm feeling the collective anxiety. I already have my own anxiety, let alone add the extra anxiety of this country. But here are some tips. Let's get into some tips that can maybe help some of you listening because we want to be there for you. We are like family. All right. Here are a few things that you can do. Stay home and relax. Detach yourself from the outcome because there's only so much you can control. I don't know how realistic that is. Yeah, I don't either, to be quite honest. 
<laughs> therapy appointments. How about making that therapy appointment for tomorrow? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> or, may, or maybe Make today. That therapy appointment. <laughs> yeah. Uh, schedule something so you have plans the following day, so you're just not in your head in a neurotic spiral around what's happening in this country, uh, scheduling calls with loved ones, friends, avoid alcohol though. Now this is something surprising because we might want to, you know, get that bottle out for those who aren't sober, of course. Uh, but you might want to avoid that because that might put you over the edge. It can make you more emotional. Yeah, it can. You got to be careful. Beware of that, you know? Uh, Indulging in your favorite foods, binge watching TV shows. So I know you're a reality show watcher. I'm an all type of show watcher. Yes. Would you rather watch your favorite TV shows tomorrow or the election coverage? Well, you don't have a choice, but if you <laughs> I just said I don't have a choice. Um, to be honest, I would probably disconnect from everything and then just kind of briefly look while I'm disconnecting. So just like kind of look at headlines and then just throw my phone away. <laughs> no, that, there is a big trend of people just disconnecting at this point, like s- taking a social media vacation and kind of just saying that to themselves that they'll hear the results when they happen and not like waiting for the results and constantly refreshing their feed because that could also be very nerve wracking. Yeah, it could. It's going to be a lot of stressed people out there. Yes. So take the time for yourself. You don't need to be uh, attached to your uh, laptop, your phone, your TV. You don't need to be the friend who knows everything, by the way. And also, by the way, there are some meditation uh, virtual meditations happening like on election day and then post election day. If you okay. want to jump on that bandwagon, too. I mean, whatever Just works. Exactly. Do what is good for you. That's all I can say. Uh, and of course, listen to us on Channel Q because we'll give you a little bit of fun too. We well sure will. Now, coming up, Pornhub is incentivizing voters this election season. How they're doing that next on What's Trending This Hour. Coming up on the show, the incredible story of a woman who is leading voters to the polls on horseback. I love a story like this. You know, I love me some horses. I know. You were very into horses when you were younger. I was very surprised, actually. I don't know why. Not just, by the way, into horses. Like, I love horses, but actually, like, went to a horse camp and everything. Equestrian school Yeah, that's it. That's what it's called. (laughs) Uh, Plus, we're also going to be bringing on an exec from a top gaming company who is encouraging its millions of users to vote. That and more coming up this hour as we continue to cover election 2020 right here on Channel Q. But first, let's get into some what's trending this hour. During a campaign rally in Avoca, Pennsylvania, President Trump decided to drag basically the entire uh, sports industry, uh, LeBron James, the NBA, and the NFL. How about LeBron? I felt badly for LeBron. I felt very badly. Down 71%. And that's for the champion. I didn't watch one. I didn't watch one shot. I get bored. Back, forth, back, forth. You know why? When they don't respect our country, when they don't respect our flag, Nobody wants to watch. Nobody. And the NFL is way down. The NFL is way down. You got to stand for our flag. You got to really be great to our flag and to our anthem. And if you don't do that, we're not watching. What a crowd. I don't know what it is about his followers and chants, because I don't see people chanting in the same way like the Biden rally. Yeah, because this all happened around the same time when I talked about earlier in the show where Donald Trump called out Lady Gaga and Beyonce. He was just going on kind of a celebrity rampage. Um, But this is a man who is 
clearly nervous that he's not going to win and he's trying to do and say whatever he can but I think he's coming to terms that he is going to lose and he's going out very very sad it's quite uh, disastrous and embarrassing and attributing the decline of ratings uh, for these teams to the whole kneeling thing and them standing up for uh, social justice and um, against racism which is I'm like, not paying okay. attention to him like he can say yeah. anything he wants but it's not going to get the attention of me. Not at all. Well, well, let's move on then. President Trump also told reporters in North Carolina that the Axios report that he will prematurely declare victory tomorrow was false. He also said that the Supreme Court rulings that allowed for Pennsylvania and North Carolina to count absentee ballots that are postmarked before Election Day, but arrive shortly after Tuesday, quote, was a terrible decision for our country and, quote, as soon as that election is over, we're going in with our lawyers. Okay. So, yeah, he is threatening that. Let's move on uh, to Pornhub. They launched Give an F, Get an F campaign to encourage American users to vote. They announced the campaign um, on Election Day. Pornhub will be reserved only for those who have voted in the U.S. How about that for commitments? I mean, you are so excited about this story. I swear, you just love anything porn related <laughs> i mean a little bit of a divergence from our our typical news hey why not uh this comes from Corey price our vp they said roughly 43 percent of eligible voters equal to 100 million people didn't vote in the 2016 u.s presidential election according to turnout estimates from the u.s elections project we want to encourage people to do their civic duty this year by casting their ballot and having their voice heard so in order to watch porn up tomorrow if you're a user you need a be sure you voted. How do they track it again? I don't know. How See, that's weird. Like, how do you track that? You better that's let a good folks. Idea. You, I mean, people are trying to get away from the elections. You better let people do what they got to do in the privacy of their homes. A little bit of escapism. Come on. We all deserve after what we've been through this year. Now, an image being shared of Joe Biden without a mask on a plane uh, did not just recently happen. It was actually taken by photographer Adam Schultz in November 2019 for a Vogue article. That's according to Associated Press, Reuters, and PolitiFact. A lot of people were calling him out, and this picture was being shared because they thought he was not being safe and he was being a hypocrite not wearing a mask. But it's not true. And that was what's trending this hour. What's happening in entertainment news, Ryan? All right, so let's dive into the T-Report. Um, you know, tri- a tribute to a legendary actor, Sean Connery, poured in over the weekend um, because obviously he died at age 90 last week. Um, but also with those tributes, uh, a lot of controversial comments the star made about hitting women resurfaced. Um, you know, he inf- infamously told Playboy in 1965, he says, I don't think there is anything particularly wrong about hitting a woman, although I don't recommend doing it in the same way that you'd hit a man. Um, Now, years after his initial remarks, uh, he actually addressed his comments during a 1987 interview with Barbara Walters, and this is what he said. I haven't changed my opinion. You haven't? No, not at all. You think it's good to slap a woman? No, I don't think it's good. You don't think it's bad? I don't think it's that bad. I think that it depends entirely on the circumstances and if it merits it. Yeah. What would merit it? Well, if you have tried everything else, and women are pretty good at this, that they can't leave it alone. Yeah? They don't they want to have the, the, the last word, and you give them the laugh, last word, but they're not happy with the last word. They want to say it again. And, and 
get into a really provocative situation. So, Shira, yes, he did just pass last week, and yes, he yeah. is a legendary actor, but these comments have popped up. Should we be having these conversations right now? I think in honoring someone who is obviously an icon, um, you know, people are going to bring up these things from the past, you know, when they're talking about looking back at his life. This is part of that legacy, unfortunately, which is why you should uh, be aware of what you're doing, why you're doing it while you're alive. Because even if you you were a big star and, you, you know, did big things, those other things will be mentioned too when you die. Well, yeah, women, um, it's not cool hitting women. And no. um, I think it kind of destroys his legacy, in my opinion. Not even going to lie to you. When I saw this and when this was all over social, so many people were like, I'm taking back my RIP. Like, it's it's gross because that happens to people's loved ones, people's friends, people's family oh, yeah. members. Like, that's not something to play with. And to see that he was just so confident with Barbara Watchers being like, yeah, I stand by that. It's just gross. But let us know what you think. Hit us up at LGT Show on social. Keep the conversation going. And honey, that is your tea report. Okay, well, how one popular gaming app is using their space to become a polling location and encourage voting tomorrow. They join us next in two minutes. Mobile game developer and publisher Jam City has been announced as an official LA County polling location, which I think is so cool that companies are using their spaces for this right now. Yeah, it's such a historic moment. And I think everyone wants to be involved in any way. Yeah, and they also announced a partnership with the nonprofit, nonpartisan organization, When We All Vote, to help drive voter registration and election participation. Yes. Exactly. And now joining us is the SVP of Publishing at Jam City, Vanessa Rohani. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I'm super excited. So I think this is so great. I mean, one, a lot of people's offices aren't being used because of the pandemic right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we all know that there's empty spaces everywhere. Why was it important to use this as a polling location? How did this all come about? Um, So we really felt like it was important for us to use our influence and our resources to encourage people to participate in the democratic process. And so we were super excited when we had the opportunity to both encourage our players um, and those in the community in and around our offices in Culver City um, to participate. And so this was a big initiative for us. We launched um, in September our Level Up the Vote campaign. And as the first part of that, we were encouraging our players um, through the partnership with When We All Vote to register to vote. And now we're super excited to actually have our office space turned into an official polling station. So did you see in the gaming community a lot of gamers wanting to get involved with just getting the voting messaging out there? And is that kind of why you all were like, wow, we need to be a part of this if our our gamers are? Yeah, you know, I think in general, there's so much excitement around this particular election. I think there's a lot of passion. um, And we recognize that we really have the opportunity um, to encourage, you know, everybody to, to sort of get out and vote. And so we wanted to give them the means to do that, whether it's making it really easy for them to get registered through our game. Um, or making it very easy to actually come and drop off their ballot or or vote in person um, at our actual office spaces. Yeah, that's amazing. And through your games, you have like millions of players that participated in this. Can you discuss that, like how you got them engaged? And really, I feel like this hasn't been done, obviously, on these types of apps, even, you know, in 2016, possibly or before. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, we have um, several really large games with with millions of players, as, as you mentioned, um, Harry Potter, Hogwarts Mystery, uh, Disney Emoji Blitz, Panda Pop, Cookie Jam, just to name a few. And so there was an opportunity for us to really sort of surface that message to players and again, make it really easy for them to click out go to the you know official registration page make sure they're registered because i think a lot of people also 
um, weren't really sure if they were still registered. And so I think it was a good sort of reminder for them, whether they saw it in our game and went and, and, and did it on their own or, or kind of clicked out from there. It was just a very good reminder. This is coming up. Make sure you're registered. Get out there and vote. And let's be real. You know, people love to be lazy. If they can just be all in one place to do everything they need to do, like that's incredible. Like that's really good. <laughs> And for us, you know, we really also, I mean, we are a gaming company, so we wanted to make it fun, right? So everything that we're doing as it relates to our actual polling station, um, obviously it's, you know, following the necessary um, safety protocols, but we're working with LA County to actually transform the space into a really fun place. for people. Oh, I think that's so cool. Again, we're talking to the SVP of Publishing at Jam City, Vanessa Rohani, about what they're doing for the election. They're transforming Jam City, their company, into a polling location. So you talked about what you're going to be doing, making the space fun. What does that mean? Yeah, exactly. So um, it is an official polling station, as I mentioned. Um, so it would be run by LA County, but we wanted to, to gamify it and really make it fun. So we've got, you know, food, we've got drinks, we've got fun selfie stations for people, there'll be giveaways. Um, so it's going to be a really just probably no no other sort of uh, voting experience like it. But it, it, it's I think, it, especially right now, it's just going to be a really nice fun place for people to, to come to. And, you know, as I mentioned, we're located in Culver City. Um, so there's tons of essential um, businesses and workers that are in and around the area. So we also wanted to make voting really easy and accessible. And that's why, you know, this our location was was selected uh, by the county to, to participate. I mean, I voted already, but can I come hang out? Damn. <laughs> right? <laughs> It, it seems like it's going to be a blast. And of course, I love that it's run by L.A. County. So that means for anyone nervous listening about, obviously, the time we're living in with the pandemic, everything will be under CDC guidelines, I would assume. Absolutely. Yes. So it is an official polling station. We're just making it fun. But yes, they are they are handling everything. Um, and it's really important, obviously, that you know, your vote counts um, and that, you know, you have a, a safe uh, place that you can actually go with this election. Yeah. Vanessa, do you see this as a trend moving forward that more companies will use their spaces for this type of thing? Yeah. I mean, I think voting is, you know, this election obviously very different than, than elections past. And I think, um, you know, we really want to, as Jam City, um, we want to make sure that we are doing good in the community um, and with our players. And so I think we'll continue to participate. And we have you know, even through, um, you know, the, the last couple of months, really tried to get involved um, in, in other ways to make sure that we are, um, you know, serving our players as well as, as the broader community. Real quick, so are there cool. any yeah. new, um, are there any new games I need to be downloading on my phone? <laughs> well, I mean, you definitely should be playing Harry Potter Hogwarts Mystery if you haven't. Um, you know, they just launched a pretty large uh, update for uh, Halloween, which is a big, big tentpole for, um, for Harry Potter. If you're yeah. A fan. So, Definitely check that out. Cool. Awesome. Well, Vanessa Rohani, thank you again for joining us today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Again, Vanessa Rohani is the SVP of Publishing at Gem City. And if you're in the Culver City area, check them out from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. or find out more at jamcity.com. Wrapping up our show with our Yaz Queen of the day. Yes, Queen. Now, this is an incredible story. There are only a few available polling stations for Navajo voters, many of whom have limited access to transportation. And frustrated by all these barriers that discourage voting among indigenous 
vision as people. Ali Young, who's only 30, she made a plan. She started Ride to the Polls in early October, hoping to empower Native American youth to vote in the 2020 election while connecting with their cultural heritage. So she leads groups on horseback along a 10-mile route um, in Navajo County to the polling stations in Arizona. And here she is talking about that work. We pulled this trail ride together today called Ride to the Poles because our indigenous children, our native children across the country are feeling the urge to reconnect to our culture more than ever. And we thought this was a great way for them to feel inspired and motivated to vote in honor of our ancestors who rode longer miles to make their voices heard uh, in voting at the polls. I am obsessed with this. I think this is so so powerful. It really shows um, no matter what, how um, engaged and motivated people are to one, be authentically who they are and uh, standing firm in their culture, but also implying, uh, applying that to create um, a environment around them that allows and encourages and inspires other people to want to vote as well, right? And mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever seen kind of culture intersects in this intersect in this way. And I, I love that this was so simple, but so impactful. Definitely. And she also so did a lot for a community around COVID-19 because we all know that they weren't getting um, testing or any support for that matter. And so she's just like a force to be reckoned with, this young woman, Ali Young. So she gets our Yaz Queen of the day. Yes, Queen, congrats, Miss Ali. Yep, ride to the polls. Go uh, search it because they're doing great work. And that does it for our show today. But of course, if you ever have ideas for us or stories you want us to cover, even in our Yaz Queen of the Day or any part of our show, you can always hit us up on social media, slide into our DMs at LGT Show. And we are diving in full force into election 2020 coverage tomorrow. Yes, yes, yes. So please get ready because daylight saving time has hit. It will be darker and the seasonal depression is right around the corner. So please. I mean, yes. Get yourself prepared. Get yourself prepared for what we're about to do tomorrow because we got each other. We got you. Yeah, that's the point. We are here. We're in it together. We're going to be bringing you experts from the Washington Post, from our sister station, uh, KNX Talk Radio. And we're also going to be bringing uh, some self-care therapists on the show, too, because we need to have that balance here. Yes, we do. Very much so. And if you miss any of our shows, we always post everything as a podcast. Catch up on our Let's Go There podcast on the radio.com app. Just search Let's Go There and subscribe. It's that easy. We are sending you love and light. And honey, remember to slay. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great night. Bye, y'all.